ladies and gentlemen, live from the West Coast, it's time for Ring Talk Live Worldwide, your inside look into combat sports, and now the host of the longest running fight show in radio and internet history. I don't want to, to predict this fight, but, you know, I'm going to promise that I, I can give a good fight, you know, to, to make people happy, and uh, I, I just do my best. Pedro Fernandez. If I can't teach you one way, I'll teach you another, but I'm going to get the job done. Thomas y Caballeros, bienvenidos, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, emanating from the Sports Byline Studios in the city by the base, San Francisco, California, this is Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Often imitated but never duplicated. Welcome to hour number two, of course, the longest-running fight show in history, Ring Talk Live Worldwide. My name is Pedro Fernandez, but you probably know that straight up. We're talking boxing and MMA for the next hour. Of course, we'll hear from Chuck Webner, the man that inspired the Rocky series, right? the Rocky series of movies, right? Sylvester Sloan stole his idea. We'll get into that in depth with Chuck Webner in an interview about 40 minutes past the hour. Before that, we'll check in with Kenny Rayford. Of course, he's a guy from the UK. Never retired or cruiserweight. Never really retired, but he trains fighters in the gym, and he's going to give us a pulse as far as his finger on the pulse as far as the UK and, of course, British boxing. Of course, two world heavyweight champions, both Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. <coughs> or though Joshua is a bit of a paper champion, hail from the UK. So we'll talk about that in depth with Kenny Rainford. Open phone lines all around the planet. Here's your chance to join in the fray if you'd like. 1-800-878-7529. That's 1-800-878-7529. Or, or the guilt-free no-commitment text line. I got a bunch of texts coming in here, too. Uh, but you can, you can add to the queue. You can add to the queue. 415-275-1613. The text line, once again, 415-275-1613. So straight up, we are like one week away. Halloween. Of course, the big fight. Davis and... Uh, Mm, Leo Santa Cruz ain't that big of a fight because everybody expects Gervonta Davis to smoke Leo Santa Cruz. This is part of a Showtime pay-per-view. But get this, on the same day, um, ESPN, ESPN Plus is going to go with Nano Inoy. Of course, he's an undefeated lad coming to us from Japan, taking on Jason Maloney for the WA and IBF Bantamweight titles. That might be an exciting fight to watch. And on The Zone, it's going to look like Oleg Usla is going to meet Derek Tazora in the heavyweight battle. So three fights on Halloween and one of them is on pay-per-view. Which one will you be watching? You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. When there are um, technology, ah, when technology, yeah, when things don't go right, you sort of grumble, right? Well, things are going right. Kenny Raver's on the line, of course, on Skype, coming to us from the UK. And Kenny, how's life treating you, buddy? Oh, life's, life's good. Life's good. Life's good. I've been training this morning. Still doing the usual things, you know. Okay. What um, what's happening in the UK? Is Anthony Joshua and, and both Tyson Fury going to fight in the same month of December, or what? Um, it's up in the air at the minute. As you know, we've had the Deontay Wilder, uh, Tyson, the Tyson Fury, uh, Deontay Wilder fight on and off, on and off, on and off. You know, um, there's there's a, there's a rumor that he could be taking some uh, some side, step aside money to try and make this, uh, you know, the Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua fight happen. Um, 
you know what I mean? It's 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 one of them things. It's uh, money talks at the minute, and with crowds not being allowed in, you know, money's a big thing because you know the the crowds were were bringing in a lot of money as well as obviously TV and stuff the same. But uh, I mean, I, I actually believe that um, Deontay Wilder. I just I just don't think he, he, he in his own head he thinks he can beat uh, Tyson Fury. Whereas Anthony Joshua, I think I think he knocks uh, Anthony Joshua out all day long. You know. So it would be worth him taking money to step aside to let that fight happen and then fight the winner. It's like a double whammy, double payday, you know? You know, Joshua had a late introduction to boxing, even though he was a 2012 Olympic gold medalist. And I've tried to say this in the past, that a lot of heavyweights get found late in life. In other words, they're playing basketball or somebody sees them walking down the street. Even I've stopped a few guys that I thought were like of heavyweights. Hey, you ever boxed before? Anyway, it's just the way it goes. Some, Some guys are latecomers to the game. Um, him being the 2012 Olympic gold medalist, I was thinking the world of him, and then he sort of fell apart against Andy Ruiz, and he fell apart not physically but mentally. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, it's 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 like the bully mentality. He wasn't used to people coming back at him. Uh, you know, Klitschko had a good go at him, as we know, but you know, uh, the thing is, Andy Ruiz just just he blinded him with the. Uh, with his with his with his boxing ability at that time, uh, the speed of punch and, and and everything that went with it, and plus he was a game kid who could take a shot as well. Came back came back himself to to, to gut it out, you know. Yeah, but much like Michael Moore is famous for getting knocked out by an old man, won't Anthony Joshua be be, be famous for getting knocked out by a fat guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> that's true enough but as you know yourself some, some of these fat guys some of these fat guys can't actually fight you remember Buster Mathis and people like them years ago they were they were they were they could fight but they just didn't look in shape at all well you know uh, the one the one fighter that does come to that come to mind is Tony Galento <laughs> yeah I don't he, think he used to train in a beer in a beer garden I think. yeah he was never really in, in shape per se and, and, and you know, anyway bottom line is at the end of the day boxing does require some conditioning you know I was talking earlier about Terence Crawford not being the biggest welterweight in the world and of course he's going to take on Kell Brook and Kell Brook's from across the pond at one point Tom I thought Kell Brook was a class at 147 pounds I mean before he decided to move up 13 pounds to take on on Gennady Golovkin, he got a couple of facial bones broken. And I remember telling Larry Mercer before the fight, it's not worth it. And Larry says, it is if the money's right. Was it worth it? Well, you know, we were breaking up a bit there, so I couldn't really get what you were saying. Okay. But, you know, it's it's like anything. anything's where the challenge, anything's where, you know, the, the dollars talk, you know. No, no, but it's I'll, like, I'll, I'll like go. Larry Holmes used to say. Okay, I'll go back and say this again. Sorry. Brooke moved up 13 pounds to fight Golovkin, got his face broken for it. And I told Larry Merchant before the fight that the fight wasn't worth going up to 160 pounds, that I thought he might get damaged permanently. Is he damaged permanently, Kel Brook? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, he's he's, he's, he's and he do, he doesn't live the life as well. So you know, it's, it's his lifestyle as well as uh, as well as these fights. You know, um, taking fights he shouldn't have been taking. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely it's definitely affected him without a doubt. Did he get stabbed? Was he? Was um, he, I had a there was there was one there was, guy there was from a real, you... he was in Tenerife once time. Yeah, there was there was one guy from the UK that got stabbed a couple times. I was wondering if it was him. Um, so anyway, Kell Brook is going to end up losing probably 
out in a one-sided route to Terrence Crawford. Not that Terrence Crawford is the biggest welterweight in the world, and that's where I think Kell Brook may have a chance as far as size is concerned. Now, were you surprised at all by the fact that Vasil Lomachenko failed so miserably against uh, Teofimo Lopez last week? Well, you know, there's things imagine with Lomachenko, injuries and stuff like this. You know, he went in with a bad shoulder. Oh, you know, uh, there was a debate on TV the other day about, about all the, you know, is it true, isn't it true, you know. Um, but Ken, Kenny, I mean, Kenny, the, Kenny, we all go into fights hurt. You and I, I mean, we all go into fights with a hurt hand or the na- the ankle's not right or maybe, you know, there's always some, there's a muscle. To, there's, nobody goes into a fight 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I hear you. You're just on my own level. I mean, I fought uh, one of my last professional fights. I dislocated my shoulder in the very first round. I went on to lose a six-round decision, a fight that should have been the easiest fight I ever had. But the fact of the matter is, I didn't win. So, <laughs> and, and I knew I had an injury going into the fight, so it was my own fault. It was my fault, no one else's fault at all. Somebody shot me a text, Buster Mathis and Buster Mathis Jr. They were both twins. They were both a bit overweight, both overweight fighters. Of course, Buster Mathis Sr. fighting the best of the head 70s. Of course, talking about Ali, Frazier, guys like that. And Buster Mathis Jr. fighting Mike Tyson, I believe, in 1996 when Tyson had gotten out of prison. I think it was uh, early, mid-90s. It was the Philadelphia Spectrum. They turned off the lights. I was doing ring talk radio in the middle of the arena, the Philadelphia Spectrum, after the fights, and they turned off the lights on me, Kenny. I ain't lying. They turned off every light in the building. Really, and I'm sitting there ringside doing radio. I mean, just imagine the, the entire arena goes black. So I actually had to pull my equipment together and I crawled out of there on my hands and knees. <laughs> I kid you not. It was a little crazy. <laughs> anyway, um, Tyson Fury. What's next for Tyson? Well, you know, the Tyson, as I said before, Tyson Fury was was is supposed to be fighting Deontay Wilder. No. Wilder's messing about again. Again, you know, is the fight, you know, the, the, they're saying they're going to announce this week who he's actually going to fight, you know, and they, they were trying to pull out the unification match with with, uh, with Fury and uh, and Joshua. But again, you know, these these are fights that should be happening, but for some reason or another, you know, it's they're not happening, you know. Okay. The reason, um, the reason, like I said before, I had... The reason why I pushed that Sorry. question at you twice, I apologize for interrupting you there, it was that they're trying to say Kubrick Pulev uh, is, is a shoe-in for the December 5th date. Sorry, Pedro, I didn't get that. I, I said they're trying to tell me Sorry. now that this guy, did, um, the, the shoe-in date for the shoe-in opponent for Tyson Fury on December 5th is going to be Kubrat Pulov. Oh, yeah, Pulov. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Well, you know, we all know the winner of that fight, you know. Yeah, but, you know. T- what are guys going to do with no crowds? And, and, and we talked about that earlier, the, the money's not going to be there. I mean, Canelo Alvarez is going to be off maybe almost a year and a half or two years when all this says, when all this gets said and done, pound for pound, the best fighter in the business. Is, is he wasting his career by not... I mean, they offered him, I think, 25 instead of $35 million to the fight, and he doesn't want to fight Gennady Golovkin. Is there any sense in that, Kenny? No, none whatsoever. I mean, I'm, None whatsoever. Uh, you, you know, t- t- time, times like this, you need to keep busy. You know, you need to keep busy, and whatever whatever dollars you can take, take it, you know, and, and just train to the best of your ability and, and, and just, 
just get on with it. You know, the, these, you know, we're, we're back to we're back to talking about the way these modern day fighters are wrapped in cotton wool. You know. Okay, so you're of the opinion that these modern day fighters are a little spoiled. Sorry, what was that, Pedro? I said you feel they're a little, a little too coddled. The fighters of today are too coddled, too too spoiled. Oh yeah, without a without well, without a doubt, you know, they, 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 you know, back 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 in the day, the promoter was the one who dictated the terms, conditions, the fights, everything made the fights, and nowadays it, the, the fighters are like they're on they're on the top table. They're making all the decisions who the fighting. Yeah, you know, it's it's crazy. I mean, some of these some of these fighters now. The entrances are more entertaining than the, than the fights. True, but before before the Muhammad Ali Professional Boxing Act, I mean, a promoter can make a, a million dollars and a fighter can make ten dollars, and the fighter wouldn't know the promoter made a million dollars. So some things have so, some things have advanced as far as the world of boxing is concerned. Oh yeah, I'm I'm all for the fighters getting the money without a doubt. I'm all for the, for the fighters getting the money, but the dollars we're talking now that these fighters can earn far outweighs. The, you know the dollars that even Muhammad Ali was making. You know, you know. Uh, you, I mean, back in '82, when Larry Holmes and Jerry Cooney split twenty million dollars, it was a massive, massive payday. Then paydays now are they're, they're nothing. You got a point there. Kenny Rainford is our guest. Of course, Kenny will be sticking around for a second second segment. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network. We're coming to you live Sunday, 11 a.m. Pacific time for two hours on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio, Sirius XM, Satellite Radio, Channel 211, and like a plethora of other Internet platforms. You can listen to this, your podcast, your favorite podcast. You can find it wherever you want to. But the bottom line is we do ours at Anchor.com. Ring Talk Live Worldwide. The podcasts are at Anchor.com. You're tuned to Ring Talk Live. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Darkest of night with the moon shining bright. There's a set going strong, a lot of things going on. The man of the hour has an air of great power. The dudes have ended him for so long. Wow, I can't believe it's been 30 years since Buster Douglas, of course, did that big dive against Evander Holyfield. Mills Lane, of course, my uh, broadcast partner afterwards. Of course, we did Let's Get It On Boxing together, and Mills told me I thought he could have got up. He didn't want to get up. Bottom line is Buster Douglas took a dive that night. The only time that Buster Douglas ever got himself together mentally and physically was for the Tyson fight, and that was because he was afraid that Tyson was going to kill him. And his mother had just died. Outside of that, Buster nearly really didn't give a snot about boxing. Of course, he failed miserably with the Holyfield, and after that, his career was toast. You were toast. 30 years ago, October 25th. Wow, 30 years ago, 1990. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking at the world of boxing and MMA. Of course, we are going across the pond to the U.K. and bringing in Kenny. Kenny Rainford. Kenny, are there, is there anybody in the U.K. that really stands out right now that we don't know about over here? Uh, not really, not really. I mean, you know, the the, the the name fighters that are around at the minute, you pretty much well know of. Um, you know, with the with this co- with this COVID thing over here, obviously it stopped um, the last. What, what are we in now? In enough nine months or so. Mm-hmm. so you know, the, any new names that were coming through are pretty much you know just sitting on the byline, waiting to waiting for some exposure, some ability to get out there and and show what they've got. You know. 
you know, I know you've had some uh, COVID experiences over there in the UK, but the United States government now says we're not going to go, we're in, quote, this morning, it says we're not going to control the pandemic. That was the president's spokesperson. American is learning to live with it. We're not learning to live with it. We're, we're yeah. dying from it over here. Same here. Same here, buddy. The, the area that I live in, in is it's just been put on lockdown again for a second time. Uh, not full lockdown, but we're on lockdown in, in the sense that, you know, normal normal life is far from from even being even being even being seen at the minute. You know, can, and, can, and incidentally, you mentioned about Buster Douglas there. Very sadly, as you're probably aware, JD McCauley, yeah. uh, his uncle, passed away on mm-hmm. Monday. Who, uh, who who strategically put that 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 win together for him with uh, with Mike Tyson. Um, Sorry to hear of his passing, you know. Let me t- uh, let me tell you about the origins of that fight. Um, Peyton Share set the fight up. Peyton Share was a booking agent. He was the guy that was getting that was working uh, working Buster Douglas with Don King. He was the guy going and doing the negotiating with Don King. Of course, the manager was John Johnson and J.D. McCauley. And there was another guy that was a trainer. I can't think of his name right now. God, it just slips my mind. But he was a co-trainer, and he's the guy that Buster's tight with right now. But J.D. McCauley had a had a barbecue pit. In Columbus, Ohio, a barbecue restaurant. So every day I was in in, uh, in Buster's office about two o'clock in the afternoon. A couple of slabs of ribs came in. That's how Buster got to three hundred pounds. We were eating like four or five times a day. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, crazy. he just, just didn't give a snot. You know what I mean? He beat Mike Tyson. That was it. He was going to do anything after that. Um, hmm. You know, but but when I look at when you look speaking of Tyson. Are you guys excited the fact that Tyson's going to do this exhibition against Roy Jones? Is there any appetite for that in the UK? Huge appetite for it. Huge appetite for it. You know, people people, people are treating this as like the, the Mike Tyson comeback. You know, but the reality of it is, 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 is Mike is, uh, up to now, I don't believe he's done any sparring for the fighters yet. There's talk that he has, but I've not seen any. Um you know, I know a few people around Mike, as you probably do yourself. He's obviously got himself in great condition. But at the, at the same time, Mike is not living the life. He's not living the life of an athlete, you know. And, uh, you know, I just hope he, I just hope he, no one gets hurt. I hope he looks well. But, you know, the uh, the chances of, of Mike making a comeback are, uh, uh, slim to say no, the least. No, I would suggest. no but but, the, but he's picked the right guy. He's picked the right foil, hasn't he? A soft chin, light heavyweight. Of course, you know, you know, Roy Jones Jr. got knocked out by Joe Calzaghe. Not Joe, um, Joe Calzaghe's relation. His name slips me now. The cruiserweight. He got knocked out um, viciously, mm-hmm. um, and in his last fight, you know, and and sadly, sadly for Roy, I can see the same thing happening again. Yeah, Roy doesn't take well. You know, there was a secret. Nobody knew it. But back in 1988, Sugar Ray Leonard had $100,000 in a briefcase over here in Concord, California. And he was going to give it to Roy Jones, slide it to Roy Jones in order to sign him because Roy Ray was doing promotional at, uh, promotions at that point in time, Sugar Ray Leonard promotions. Anyway, so he tells me he's going to sign Roy Jones and the whole nine yards. And we're going back and forth. He first tells me this in Oakland, California, because that's where the prelims were. Then the, the finals moved to, uh, to Concord, California. But he tells me, Oakland, California, he's going to sign Roy Jones. And then he says to me, you know, the only problem about Roy is, Pedro, and I'll never forget, he was kicking back. He put his feet up. He goes, Roy's got a glass jaw. And I said, what? 
He goes, uh-huh. oh, yeah. He goes, Roy's been knocked out twice in the gym with the, with the big gloves on. And I mean knocked out to the point where he's been snoring. I said, whoa. Yeah. He goes, so you can understand, you know, why, why I, I, he's the best of the team, but I think he's got a glass jaw. So, so, so what's the story? He goes, well, I'm going to give him, I think, a $1 million signing bonus. Where are you going to get this? He goes, well, I got some investors that are backing me up, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to give him the $100,000 in cash and then um, try to impress him with $100,000 in cash in a briefcase and then get him to take the hundred grand, obviously, and you know, sign a deal with him, sign a promotional contract with him. Of course, this was pre-Olympics, and Ray, that might have been a little bit shady, but I don't think it was illegal at that point in time. Anyway, it didn't happen. Uh, Ray ended up taking the $100,000 back to the savings alone, wherever he got it in Concord, California, and didn't, didn't end up uh, giving Roy Jones that offer. But, you know, Roy made a lot of money before he ended up getting knocked out. So... I still think that might have been oh, a promotion. Yeah. That might have been a promotional mistake on Ray Leonard. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was in Pensacola, Florida, for a week with Roy Jones Jr. with with a couple of fighters who I was camp- camping with Jason Papion and a few others. And and in the gym, in the gym, Roy Jones Jr. was cleaning the gym every day. But this one kid, Jason Papion, I don't know if you're familiar with Jason. Yeah. Who 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 was a reasonable fighter, not a great fighter, but a reasonable fighter. But he could never get past Jason's style. Style-wise, style Jason had his number. So he used to employ Jason as a sparring partner every single camp because he, used to, he, was, he was trying desperately to figure out Jason, but he never could. So Jason used to run rings around Roy Jones in the gym. Um, but again, it's down to styles, you know. But, um, you know, there's no doubt about it. He was, he was great in his day. But I think people get carried away with how, how great he really was. I mean, for me... For me, Marvin Hagler, fighters like that would have, would have beaten Roy Jones Jr. without a doubt, in my estimation. Okay, who is Jason Maloney? Twenty-one and one, eighteen KOs out of Australia. Is 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 he really that solid of a fighter? He's going in there against a monster, and this guy, Nanoa Inoy. I've not really seen a lot of him, so I I, I can't really comment. To be fair. Um, so I, I really can't comment on that one myself. But you okay, know. Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz. Right, right, okay. What do you see there? Who are you picking for that. One? <laughs> uh, uh, I've got that as a as a bit of a pick and fight me. Oh, you do. Okay, let's bet a soda right now. We'll bet a Pepsi Cola on it. I'm taking Davis. You're taking Santa Cruz. How's that? Go for that. We'll All right, that. we'll better sew it on that one. This is this is a mismatch in size. You got a hundred thirty five pounder going to shrink down to one thirty. He's going to annihilate poor Leo Santa Cruz. I know poor Leo's in trouble. Anyway, October thirty first, Maloney in Illinois, and of course uh, October thirty first, a guy from your neck of the woods, Derek Zora taking on Oleg Usek. Oleg Usek and Derek Zora is the heavyweight matchup. Is this a work fight for Oleg Usek, or is Derek Zora a real challenge? I think it's a dangerous fight, you know, because who, who, who is Usek fought, really? You know, as a heavyweight, who is he fought? He's obviously been moving around with heavyweights, mm-hmm. uh, sparring and whatnot, but Chisora is one of them fighters. He'll either turn up or he won't turn up. If he turns up, Usek's in trouble. Real quick. He really will get, he will get t- tested. Okay, real quick, in less than a minute, if I could get you to 147 pounds, would you fight Earl Spence and he got flipped out of a car at 120 miles per hour and has all those injuries that we don't know about? Without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I th- Don't you think he's damaged goods? Definitely. Definitely. 
Yeah. They're playing it off like it's nothing. They got a safe guy. I think of Danny Garcia doesn't throw too many punches, but if he steps up with anybody else, I think he's in trouble. Kenny Rainford, you're the greatest, man. I love you. I thank you for your time. I respect you, and I hope you'll come back real soon again. Anytime, buddy. Anytime at all. It's a pleasure. My pleasure. My buddy, Ken Rainford. You can find him on Facebook. Kenny Rainford out of the UK. He's a former retired cruiserweight. Actually, he never retired. You're tuned to Ring never Talk. Did. Yeah, he never retired. I don't think he ever did. You're tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. The Bayonne Bleeder. All the guy did was cut up, of course. 36 and 14 is professional. Couple of draws, 17 KOs. Fought the best. Fought guys like, you know, Sonny Liston, Dwayne Bobbick. Dwayne Bobbick, uh, he was undefeated at the time, 36 and zip. Lost a, an eight round uh, TKO to him. He fought Ali, of course, and supposedly he knocked Ali down, stepped on his foot, something like that. Anyway, Chuck Lepner has a different story about that. But at the end of the day, he was a guy behind the Rocky movies. I mean, he was a character behind the Rocky movies. You know, the guy that, that maybe that, that got a title shot that really didn't deserve the title shot. It was a bit of a hobo or a journeyman or a club fighter or call it what you want. But Chuck Webner was never going to the World Boxing Hall of Fame, not based on his talents and not based on his career. No way, no, no doubt about that. A few years ago, he wrote a book and we sat down and we had this conversation. We're honored to have Chuck Wetner on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, folks, an outstanding heavyweight back in the day, of course, knocked down Muhammad Ali, but we'll get to that. He was the story of the Rocky movies, and now there's a movie all about him. I'm talking about Chuck. So, Chuck Wetner, talk to me about Chuck. Well, it's a movie that's been a long time in the making, uh, over 11 years. You know, we finally got the right uh, the right script, and most of all, we got the right actor. We got Liev Schreiber to play me in the movie, and uh, I'm thrilled about that. He's a great actor and a terrific young guy. Okay, the movie's already in the theaters. It's got rave reviews. Of course, everybody's rocking and rolling. And Hollywood has had a relationship with boxing since the silent movie days. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. They are very enamored with the sport and the sport and the squared circle. Now, before we get back to Chuck just for a second, got to ask you about my buddy Sylvester Stallone. And the reason why I say my buddy is I interviewed him one time, and he was a bit of a turd. And, 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 And I'll go into that maybe on another day. But... You know, he stole your story back in 1975 or 1976, and he didn't pay you a dime until 2011. What a dick. Well, you know, it, uh, he, he did the right thing by me. I, I don't know what your opinion of it is, of it, but he's uh, in my mind, he's a good guy. You know, he tried to put me in Rocky Two. He wrote a part in Ching Web. I have the script right here, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And I had, uh, I had 22 lines, and he called me into Philadelphia to read for the part. And I didn't do well. He even gave me a second chance to read for the part an hour, hour and a half later, and I still didn't do that great. You know, it's uh, it was one of those things. So time went by, and uh, finally we got together and we squared away everything, and everything is fine now. Well, I'm glad that you got straight up with you. Now I got to bring you back to uh, March 29, 1975, fighting Muhammad Ali. You said it was 
the greatest experience of your life. When I spent two weeks with him over in China, those were the greatest two weeks of my life. I mean, he's just, there's something about the greatest in great times being around that guy, isn't there? Yes, he is. He, uh, we, we spent a lot of time together because we also did a, uh, uh, a commentary and a, a little short film on uh, Tooth Decay for Washington. So we spent about four or five days. You're absolutely right. He's a terrific guy, and uh, I cherish that uh, that four days that we spent with him. It was great. We had a couple of uh, the, the former president of the United States there, and uh, uh, Ali acted up with him, and uh, uh, he's a peanut farmer. Uh, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. And uh, he was on the dais, and uh, he may believe he fell asleep when the president was speaking. And uh, Carter says, oh, my God, I must be boring. The champ went to sleep, and uh, uh, he woke up just then, and he, he introduced Ali, and Ali got up there and talked for 15 minutes. It was great. Okay. Chuck Webner is our guest. The movie's Chuck, folks. I'm going to see it this weekend before I do the Saturday night show, so I will have a review on it for Saturday night, the Johnny Taco Show at 10 p.m. Pacific time right here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network. But let's go Let's go back to the Ali fight, knocking him down. Did you step on his foot? No. I hit him with a right hand under the heart. He threw a jab. I slipped it uh, to the right, threw a right hand. If you watch the film, you can see the punch land. Now, that, that shot of me stepping on his foot, that could have been any time during the fight. They never protested it. Ali took the eight count, got up, and kept fighting. Drew Goody Brown came up with a uh, came up with a story later on, two hours after the fight. And uh, but you know what? It, it's all conjecture. And he, uh, it was called a knockdown, and uh, it, it makes good press. Drew Bondini Brown, the king of BS himself. Yeah, that was him. Drew worked his corner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go back to the sun. I, I knew Sonny Liston's last trainer, Johnny Toko. Remember Johnny Toko that ran the gym in Las Vegas? Do you remember him? No, I heard of the, I heard the name, but no, I didn't know. Yeah, he started out in Vegas. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he was he was he was Sonny Liston's last trainer, and Davy Pearl was his Davy Pearl the manager the uh, was his manager. Of course, he was a referee of Tommy Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard back in 1981 as well. But they they were of the opinion that Sonny had some issues with the mob when he went back to fight you, and there were rumors that the mob wanted him to lose to you, and you and all this kind of stuff. And gee, is there any any truth to that at all, Mister Webner? Well, God, I'll tell you what. If they wanted him to lose, he sure as hell didn't do it. Because in that fight, they got a broken nose, broken right cheekbone, and uh, uh, seventy one stitches. You know, I pressed him the whole fight, and that was my style. As a matter of fact, at the end of the ninth round, Bonnie Felix, the referee, wanted to stop the fight. And I said, Bonnie, one more round. Let me finish it. He said, right, how many fingers do I have up? I said, how many guesses do I get? You know, I couldn't see nothing. You know, it was, uh, they stopped the fight with a minute and 23 seconds to go in the uh, 10th round. And uh, listen, was tough guy, biggest puncher I ever fought, and I fought four world champions. No doubt about that. Chuck Webner's our guest, folks. The movie's Chuck is out at your theaters as I speak. Um, what can people expect out of this movie besides reality? I mean, this this is there's no sugar coating in this movie, is there? I've been told it's like straight up Chuck. Yep, it is, it is straight up Chuck, and you're absolutely right. There's no sugar coating. They expect to see the life and times of the real Chuck Webner. You know, I inspired Rocky. It was the fight with with Ali that inspired it. And uh, this movie tells the truth. It doesn't pull any punches. And uh, so far, we've got a lot of great reviews, not one bad one. And uh, if you go to see the fight, I'm sure you'll come home and uh, and be happy that you went. 
With that, sir, we say goodbye. We wish you the very best of luck with your movie, Chuck. And, of course, anytime you want to come back to Sports Byline, the red carpet is open for Mr. Chuck Webner. Not about the, the biome bleeder. You are a class act in boxing. You're a class act outside of the ring, sir. You're a credit to the human race and the sport of boxing. Thank you for your time and your dedication. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. The great Chuck Webner on Sports Byline. Somebody accused me of kissing Chuck's ass. Uh, that's what he said to me. This is, of course, from 2017. But that's what somebody, you were like kissing Chuck's butt the entire interview. You know, I, maybe, maybe it came across the way, but that's not the way it went down. Bottom line is he's a nice guy to be around. We've been together at different functions uh, around the uh, country. Different, and he's always showed a lot of class. He's always been, you know, really. Ne- I never saw him intoxicated. Never, never anything bad about Chuck Wepner. I mean, other than the fact that he didn't fight all that well. I mean, he was tough, but he didn't fight all that well. Straight up, boxing's rock and roll. And of course, I said three fights uh, coming up on October thirty first. I'm talking about Halloween. The Zone's going to go. ESPN's going to go. Of course, and of course, Showtime pay per view is going to go. And the Showtime pay per view card. Of course, I'm talking about Javante Davis on top. Javante Davis, an excellent fighter, no doubt about that. Of course, a maybe three to one favorite over over um, Leo Santa Cruz. And when you have that uh, three to one favorite, I mean, the other night, uh, you know, four to one favorite, Lomachenko is a four to one favorite. Four to one favorite lost the first seven rounds. I'm going to go back to that just for a second. Lost the first seven rounds on all three judges' scorecards. You're trying to tell me that all three judges scored it wrong and that I scored it wrong too when I gave all seven rounds, the first seven rounds to um. To the young man, of course, from Brooklyn, Tiafimo Lopez, of course, gave him the first seven. And the second one, I put a question mark next to. So I gave uh, Mr. Lomachenko four of the last five, and I ended up having it 116, 112. Of course, originally it was 9-3, but that second round, I went back. So I had a question mark next to it. I went back, and I gave that to Lomachenko as a welfare round. You give away welfare rounds every now and then because you think the guy, you know, you're not believing your eyes. That's what it was. Most people just couldn't believe their eyes. They couldn't believe their guy was getting lit up, getting beat to the punch time and time and time again. Of course, he's complaining about the size. What did you think? You're stepping up to 135 pounds. Did you think it was going to be a walk in the park? You said to everybody before you thought your peak weight was 126 pounds and that you're stepping out of your uh, class at 130 and 135. Maybe you need to go back there if you want to be super dominant. And super dominant, you know, made guys quit, yeah, but didn't really, like, do this pound-for-pound pound thing. This pound-for-pound pound thing I thought was a bit uh, overhyped. I think that Bob Arum did a great job promoting this guy, and, of course, Bob Arum also did a great job in making sure that there wasn't a rematch clause in Lomachenko's contract because he doesn't have to deal with that rematch. In other words, Lomachenko is a non-entity. To some boxing fans, yes, he's a superstar or a good fighter or a great fighter, whatever your opinion goes on that, I don't care. But the bottom line is he doesn't draw. He doesn't sell. He does I mean, people don't want to tune in to watch. People won't throw down pay-per-view money to watch him fight. For some reason, he just can't turn that. He can't. He can't. He can't turn the corner. He just can't turn the corner. Okay, so he needs guys to be his opponents, and he doesn't really have any guys that his opponents he can make pay-per-view money off of right now. And of course, Tiafimo Lopez. That's sort of he exposed. He exposed that. That was an easy fight. I mean, seven zip. Good Lord. That's like seven zip. We're talking about a 12-round fight, 12 little fights. I know everybody says, oh, but down the stretch, Lomachenko was stronger. You're not in the 12th round, but for those four of the last five rounds, I'll give them to you. 
I'll give them to you. But that doesn't win you a fight. Being strong at the end doesn't win you a fight. A fight, a boxing match, is 12 individual fights. And if you win the majority of those 12 fights, see Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard, 1987, April, of course, when Ray Leonard won four of the first five rounds and then won a 7-5 to five decision. It's math. It's simple math. If Tiafimo went off and won seven straight rounds in a row, he didn't have... He would have had to get knocked down in almost every round after that point to lose the fight. And he didn't. He showed up strong. I mean, that 12th round, he came out. His father told him, you've got the cards won. you got the car. The fight won on the cards. What happened? He went out there and he put it to him. He put it to, to, he put it to Vasil Lomachenko, something nobody thought was possible. At the end of the night, we had a new world champion. He came out. We heard the interview last week, of course. He was in a suit and tie. He was very respectful for the most part, except when he, he talked a little smack about Devin Haney and things like that. And as far as Haney's concerned, you know, I said that Haney did the right thing by not sticking around and being an amateur, of course, and trying to get that Olympic gold medal because he can't really cash it in like he used to back in the Oscar De La Hoya days. So the right move was to turn pro. But at 24-0, he hasn't fought anybody. And now he's going to fight Yuri Gamboa, and I'm supposed to get excited about that? No, I'm not going to. Anyway, at the end of the day, we'll see what Devin Haney has when he mixes with guys like Ryan Garcia and Gervonta Davis because I think those guys are going to stay at 135 for sure. As far as the champion, Teofimo Lopez, his father says the future is at 140 pounds. He doesn't want to cut to 135 anymore. He's been, I noticed he complained about that in training not once but twice. I heard him again three or four times, so Every time I started doing, eh, making 135 stuff, making 135 stuff, making 135 stuff. So they want to move up to 140. And you heard Larry Merchant mention, and Aaron Ramon, of course, the retired HBO godfather, he said that, you know, he thinks that he can be the top guy at 140. Well, I think so as well. But right now, I think 135 has got some stars in it. Gervonta <clears throat> Davis might be might be a favorite over Tiafimo Lopez in the minds of some people, especially if he performs well next week against Leo Santa Cruz. Of course, Santa Cruz coming in there undersized, and I've told you before, size matters in two things, pornography and combat sports, and Leo Santa Cruz is going to be on the short end of a size thing. Of course, that's on pay-per-view. Now, why would you put a pay-per-view card on the same day there's going to be uh, two other cards on TV? I'm talking about the ESPN card with Inouye and Maloney. Of course, the, uh, the, uh, Gervonta, the, um, the zone card with Oleg Usek and Derek Tazor. Of course, that heavyweight battle from the, UK, from the UK. So why would you do that when they had the fight originally scheduled for yesterday? I don't get it. I mean, they announce a pay-per-view with three or four weeks. It doesn't sell. They say, we're going to try to do something different. We'll put it off an extra week. They're not going to have a live crowd for this one, I'm told. So what's, what's the beef? Anyway, October 31st, Halloween night. I guess not too many people are going out because of the COVID virus and this and that. So I guess it's a good night to stay home and watch TV. But the bottom line is Showtime pay-per-view, Javante Davis, Leo Santa Cruz, Halloween. Of course, that is October 31st, coming to you from the U.S. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Check it. You're inside looking to the world of boxing, MMA, of course, 37-plus years now. Oscar De La Hoya, notice he's not talking about a comeback anymore. Yeah, speaking of comebacks, I did some road work and some, co- and some core work the other night, right? I felt so good shadow boxing afterwards that I was popping off, saying to myself, you know, I could fight again. Then the next night, I was so sore, I felt like I was 90, so not so much. Can I say sort of bipolar on the fighting and not fighting type of thing. <laughs> you are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide.
now more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Somebody asked what I thought was the greatest rivalry in all of boxing. I thought it might have been Jake LaMotta and Sugar Ray Robinson. Reason being, I talked to both guys. And they both despised one another, even though they said later on they were sort of chummy and this and that. But the bottom line is they hated one each other. They did. Of course, they fought like three times in a month at one point in time. Um, they were truly, truly great gladiators. Other fights, of course, other great rivalries. Bobby Chacon and Bazooka Lamone, I think they went four times, at least three times for sure. I think I saw the third one up there in Sacramento. Yeah, three times. We saw the third one up there in Sacramento when Chacon upset him. Of course, that was in 1982 to win the WBC 130-pound championship. As far as all-out rivalries, of course, Ali and Frazier. What could be a better rivalry than Ali and Frazier? Of course, the thrill in Manila capping that off, of course, in 1975. Joe Frazier being stopped in the 14th round when my buddy... And may he rest in peace. I'm talking about Eddie Futch. When Eddie Futch said, son, you got nothing to be ashamed of. I'm going to stop this fight. And he stopped the fight. Of course, Joe Frazier didn't want to stop that fight. One of Joe's sad points, but he saved Joe from further punishment. Joe was getting beat on that, that 13th round like a bongo drum. Bottom line is, great rivalries in boxing. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking to the world of boxing and MMA. Of course, we come to you live Saturdays and Sundays, 11 a.m. Pacific time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern time. Saturdays for an hour, Sundays for two hours. Live on Sports Byline, iHeartRadio, Sirius XM, Satellite Radio, Channel 211, and a plethora of other internet platforms. You can check us in our podcast, of course, on iTunes, and of course, the real podcast, we got them going on at Anchor.com. Lots of features as well. Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Check out our podcast at Anchor.com. Until next time, the executive producer, the one, the only, Scott Cuddy. You're tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide, a production of Sports Byline.